Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Thanks a lot for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, I'm very excited to introduce my next guest. Before I do that, I want to mention that at ExitCoachRadio.com, you can go listen to our audio library. We have 40 topic file folders, things like business continuity, uh, family business issues, um, preparing to retain your key employees, life after exit, a whole bunch of different topics. Over uh, 700 interviews are in, contained inside of those file folders, so you can learn a lot and, uh, and just take some time and listen to 20-minute interviews. My next guest is Craig Weber from the Weber Consulting Group, and Craig is the author of Conversational Capacity, the Key to Building Successful Teams that Perform When the Pressure is On. And he's founder of the Weber Consulting Group, an alliance of experts that are committed to helping people build more resilient, healthy, and agile organizations. And Craig helps an eclectic range of clients improve their performance by treating dialogue as a discipline. He's here to talk more about the topic of conversational capacity. Craig is a past guest. Delighted to have him back on the show. Craig, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Bill, thank you very much. I had a great time chatting with you last time, and I appreciate being invited back. It's it is it's it's a fun experience, and I like it when people come back, Craig, because we can go a little deeper into these topics and uh, help people that may have listened before to say, yeah, I like that interview. Let's go deeper on it. So let's uh, first of all let's reacquaint our listeners with you and the Weber Consulting Group. Tell us a little bit about your your background and how you started the Weber Consulting Group. Yeah, um, my background's in organizational development and organizational psychology, and I got interested early on in some research. Chris Argers at Harvard and Don Schoen at MIT, and their core work on organizational learning. So a lot of my work is sort of grounded in that research, which really boils down to helping people kind of pull together and work together more effectively in difficult, kind of messy circumstances. Pretty easy to put together a team or a business that's working well when things are going smoothly. But putting together a team that can really hold its own when things get difficult is a different challenge altogether. So my work kind of helps people acquire a set of frameworks and a a discipline for doing that in a much more conscious, much more mindful, much more uh, effective way. And, you know, it's so important to be able to communicate these days. Everybody um, is, you know, so busy, and you have to really cut to the chase with people and have some effective, meaningful conversations and get the message across. And, you know, there are different uh, influences in the workplace these days because you have your, you know, from the baby boomers to the millennials and different conversation and communication styles. So how are uh, companies um, dealing with that, that or, or, or are they? Are they are they just giving the same message out to all different groups, or are they uh, positioning their statements to meet the audience? Yeah, that's a really really good question. Um, you're right. You know, our organizations, whether you're a nonprofit, a small business, a big business, a government agency, whatever you are. Any organization is sort of this cornucopia of differences. The ones you just described, there's personality differences, functional differences, differences in our educations and our experience. Uh, so there's this big, messy soup of differences. And I think learning to work effectively, dealing with people who see the world in a way, is really important. And some organizations do a better job than others. 
some cultures, I think, I like how Jack Welch said it once in GE, we want to create a culture that pulls every mind into the game. Some companies are better at that, some that aren't. And when it comes to doing that in a much more conscious, much more deliberate way, I think conversational capacity is sort of a game-changing competence. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that. What is conversational capacity? And tell us again, why, why is it so important? Yeah, and if you, last time we talked about this, I kind of described it as the ability of an individual or a team for orchestrating open, balanced, learning-focused dialogue under pressure. I mentioned that you can imagine a team with high conversational capacity, they can put a really challenging issue on the table in a meeting and do really good work around it. Where a team with low conversational capacity, sometimes just a minor difference of opinion, some minor disagreement can throw them completely off their game. So it's sort of pivotal competence because you can have the right people around the table. You can have a great product or service. You can have a strategy that's really well formulated. You can have all the resources you need at your disposal. But if the conversational capacity of your team or your business or work relationship is too low, it's going to underperform, and sometimes in a dramatic way. So in that sense, sort of a really key idea. Another way to think about conversational capacity is the ability to keep in alignment your intentions, and your behavior under pressure. And it's easy to kind of keep your behavior and your intentions aligned when things are going smoothly, but what tends to happen for both people and teams is when things get difficult, their good intentions and their actual behavior begin to part ways. I like that. That's very important. So keeping your alignment uh, in your behavior and intentions under pressure, very important because that's when the rubber hits the road. That's when... You're the CPA firm, and you're in March, <laughs> and, yeah, and everything, exactly. everything's going crazy all around you. And are people drifting away from that? That you know, the intentions and the um, the are they keeping their behaviors in check? I like that a lot. So, so uh, what is what are the limiters? What what limits our conversational capacity? Well, often what happens when things get dicey or difficult, we're in a meeting and uh, somebody says something we don't like, is our behavior and our good intentions begin to separate because we're being triggered by a couple of really strong emotional reactions. And for some people that need to play it safe, not to cause conflict, not to rock the boat, not to embarrass yourself, not to hurt someone's feelings, can overwhelm our ability to say what's being said. And so we talked about last time that place in a conversation where there's a sweet spot. Candor and curiosity are in balance, and that's where you want people working. It's where you don't just have smart people, but smart people around the table are able to focus their smarts on the problem you're facing. And what tends to happen when the need to play it safe gets triggered is people start becoming less candid. I'm sitting in a meeting, and my boss says something, and my knee-jerk reaction is, well, no, 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 we can't do that. But what I do is smile and say, sounds great, boss. And so I just sacrifice candor, and I'm not speaking as directly as I could. I want to say something in a meeting, but I can't do it because I'm concerned about the consequence. My behavior and my good intentions just separated. So in a way, people are, have, uh, are demonstrating that they've pretty much given up and the system is broken because they're not going to um, – and you, you'll notice that in their enthusiasm, their, their ability to get involved, and a lot of times – the fault is the people delivering the message because they haven't figured out the best way to communicate? Yeah. A lot of times, you know, I really do want to be speaking up, but I can't do it because my need to play it safe or what I call minimizing, right? I'm trying to minimize discomfort. I'm trying to minimize embarrassment. I'm trying to minimize, you know, bad feelings. Overwhelms my candor. Oftentimes, I'll trigger the other direction out of the sweet spot, and I let go of curiosity, and I'm arguing to win the conversation. I want to be right. I'm not listening. I'm not inquiring. I'm not interested in your point of view. 
because my good my good intentions and my behavior separated because I'm being triggered by a need to be right. And so a lot of times what happens is in tough circumstances, you'll see multiple people around the table shooting out of that sweet spot in different directions because they're being hijacked by their emotional reactions. And so high conversational capacity, I'm still being triggered, but I'm able to stay candid and curious despite the fact that the conversation is uncomfortable. Low conversational capacity, and I slide out of the sweet spot really, really quickly. I'm kind of trying to picture uh what that might look like, and I'm, I'm, the picture I'm coming up with is a, a, an enthusiastic owner or a leader who is talking to their team and asking for input and, and for uh, ideas, and they're getting nothing back. And, and instead of thinking, well, I guess I have all the ideas, they should be thinking something's wrong here. We're not, we don't have conversational capacity. I need to fix it. I need to work on it. And how would they start to build that? Yeah, really good question because that's a real common problem because it turns out nothing drops conversational capacity more predictably than the presence of authority. And so if there's an authority difference in a meeting, conversational capacity is usually going to be an issue because people tend to be a little more guarded around the boss, sometimes a lot more guarded. And so the CEO, for instance, might have really, really, really smart people around the table, but he's not getting access to their smarts because he or she maybe you know, his presence or her presence is pushing people out of that sweet spot. And so learning to pull people into the conversation is key. And as a quick example, an executive in Silicon Valley I worked with, very um, kind of aggressive personality, so very outspoken, really high technical education, so he was intimidating, and he was the owner of the business. So three factors made him a fairly tough person to challenge. And so he realized he wasn't getting much from his team, so he began putting ideas on the table in meetings, kind of explaining it to his team, and then leaving the room for 30 minutes saying, look, you know, I, I want you to, I want three big concerns about what I'm suggesting from the team when I return. And he'd leave and give them a chance, to, you know, kind of in his absence to wrestle with the issues. And then he'd come back and say, okay, what'd you come up with? And he was able to do that for a while. But he said, after a few um, weeks of doing this, I got up to leave the meeting one day. The team said, you can stick around if you want. You don't have to go. So he began to show them that he meant it, that he cared, that he actually expected to get that feedback. And once they realized he meant it, that it wasn't just a gimmick or some sort of a ploy, his presence wasn't so much a limiting factor in the conversational capacity of the group. It seems like you would you would have to have one level up in the meeting as a leader, but are, you're talking about maybe two or more levels above the employees who are making up the bulk of the of the meeting. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, almost any place, there's a difference in uh, huh. hierarchy, whether it's one level or two. But that, usually, the, the the greater the distance. The, high, the lower the conversational capacity, the more you need to pay attention to working in that sweet spot. And, and is this what makes off-sites so valuable because everybody's kind of no ties, you're sitting around in chairs at the same level enjoying the same experience away from the office and the hierarchy kind of melts away? Um, I, I think that sometimes is, is not what happens. I think we, we pretend that's what's happening, but actually I think people at offsites are very conscious of the hierarchy. They're very conscious of where they sit in the pecking order, and they may act more casual, but I think high conversational capacity in a team can work really well in a very formal environment, low conversational capacity, even an offsite in Bermuda shorts and tank tops, you know, they're going to have a hard time communicating effectively. So it can make some difference, okay. but I think a real pivotal variable is much more the discipline of being able to balance candor and curiosity under pressure, even when there's a strong difference of opinion up the chain of command or down the chain of command. So, so uh, it's obvious that there are, are tools and techniques that would help companies 
to to bridge this and increase their conversational capacity. What what are some examples of um, some ways that you may have helped uh, a business in this regard? Yeah, I've worked with a you know like I say a lot of organizations, big and small, nonprofits, government agencies, even doing work with a number of state legislatures around the U.S., helping them learn to have more productive healthcare policy debate across the aisle which is a challenging issue. And, and so there's a basic framework of balancing candor and curiosity is sort of the goal. Even when it's not comfortable or easy, there's a set of behaviors for doing that. And there's two candor skills and there's two curiosity skills. And on the candor side of the scale, you wanna see people around the table. Even if it's not easy to do, put your point of view on the table and explain how you arrived there. What you're thinking, what evidence do you have? What assumptions are you making? So as best you can, you're trying to very candidly express to people Here's where I'm at on this topic, and here's how I got there. On the curiosity side of the scale, you know, you want to, first off, do something kind of, kind of unusual, something we don't tend to do, and that is to actually test our perspective. And the questions you're asking is, are, are, what am I missing here? What are others seeing that I'm not? Am, am I lacking some evidence? Am I holding on to some erroneous assumptions? And how do I know? Well, the best way to check your thinking, it turns out, is to bounce your thinking off of other people. So once you've candidly expressed how you're looking at an issue, you want to invite people, even encourage people, to challenge your thinking. You know, what are you seeing that I'm not? Who has a different view than me? What, you know, you know, mm-hmm. Right now I feel like my idea makes perfect sense, and that scares me. Who's seeing this issue in a different way than the one I just described? And so what you're really demonstrating with testing your perspective is that you're holding your point of view more like a hypothesis, less like a truth. Got it. And the second curiosity skill is if somebody, if, if if I'm talking to you, Bill, and I put a view on the table and I explain it and I say, what do you think? Push back on me here. You've got a different set of experiences than I do. What's this look like from your angle? And you say, there's no way that'll work. The second curiosity skill would be to inquire into your point of view. Don't get defensive and shut down. Don't get defensive and argue back. Get curious and lean in. What is Bill seeing that I'm not? And so those are the, it's a basic framework. That no matter our differences in personality, style, culture, temperament, uh, our different positions in the hierarchy or functional perspectives, here's a shared framework for how we can work together in the sweet spot when things get dicey. That's very valuable. And it sounds like, you know, like you said, you have to be a little bit vulnerable to to, uh, open it up like that. And then you have to be willing to accept whatever comes after that and, and learn from it. And uh, it may be the difference between your idea of working and not working. Well said. That is really well said. In fact, I talk about candor and curiosity and balance as sort of someone in the sweet spot, but it's more than that. It's On the one hand, you want lots of candor and lots of courage in your organization. You want people speaking up. You want people raising their hand. You want people pointing out problems, even when it's not easy. And that takes both candor and courage. And to your point, you also need curiosity and humility. That willingness to make your point of view vulnerable to other people is really important, where learning and being smart and thinking clearly is more important to me than an ego massage. That's wonderful advice for any leader out there who is, who is wondering why, why they might not be getting the feedback that they, that they need and that they want. And if they're feeling like they're, they're just talking to a bunch of blank faces and a blank stares. It sounds like something to me that is it it needs to be done intentionally, Craig. It's it's uh, companies that are are leaning back saying, well, it's we're not getting much out of our people. They need to be intentional about this and in increasing their conversational capacity. And how do they uh, get started on doing something like that? What's the best way for them to to learn more about this? 
Yeah, that's, a, that's another good question. Um, I don't think you're right. I think you're right. What's not typically on our management dashboard is conversational capacity. We're looking at strategy, finance. We're looking at a whole range of factors, and we're tracking them very carefully. But man, conversational capacity isn't on the dashboard. And it's been sort of my goal in life to, to get that on management's dashboard, to get leaders and managers at all levels of the organization thinking, what are the big challenges we're up against? What are the tough decisions? And how do I build my team's ability to do good work around those issues? Uh, so how do you do that? That's one reason I wrote the book was to make these ideas more accessible. So I tried to write it in a way where you know teams can read the book chapter by chapter and think it through together and apply it to their specific issues and challenges. Uh, my website has a number of articles that people can access uh, for free talking about the concept and why they're so key. So I think if you really think this is an issue and you want to learn how to build the conversational capacity of your business or your team in a more conscious, deliberate way, uh, the book's probably a good place to start. And uh, <clears throat> the best place for that is to go to your website? Uh, you can go to the website, yes, uh, WeberConsultingGroup.net. Uh, that's Weber with one B, like the grill. Uh, or uh, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, 800CEOread.com. Uh, McGraw-Hill published the book, so it's available in print or electronic forums, almost any place you can find books. And, of course, Craig, you're available to speak to business owner groups like Vistage International and other groups that get together uh, it sounds like it would be a fascinating workshop and topic for business owners of, of all sizes to learn more about how they can have better conversation, capa conversational capacity at work to improve the skills and the flow of information amongst their workers. So again, the book is called Conversational Capacity, The Key to Building a Su a Successful Teams That Perform When the Pressure Is On. And again, I think that's the key is that, like you said early on in the interview, when things are, are nice and easy and, and not so busy, uh, things flow. But it's, it's what's your communication going to be like when you're under the gun to produce. And it's a very important topic. Craig, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks very much for coming back on with us. And I hope our listeners will go to WeberConsultingGroup.net and get in touch with you. And uh, I hope to hear from you again sometime soon. Thank you, Bill. I really enjoy your show. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Craig. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this. Please stay with us. Hi, everybody. This is Spike Reel for The Exit Coach. Business owners, can you name the eight key value drivers that you and your managers should be focusing on to increase the value of your business? Introducing the Sellability Score Index. Visit our website and answer 25 questions about your business, and you will instantly receive your sellability score, showing you how well you stack up in the eight value driver areas. It's a great management tool. It's absolutely free for our listeners. Just visit ExitCoachRadio.com and click Get My Sellability Score. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 